Well, if you have your Bibles, we're uh, looking at 1 Timothy, or Timothy chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Timothy. Uh, Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Actually, are there three chapters in Timothy? I'm, I'm sorry, we're not in Timothy, we're in Titus. I, I guess I didn't get enough sleep last night. But there are three chapters in Titus. But uh, we're going to be looking at uh, elders again this morning. And uh, we're in a church series. We are looking at our uh, constitution and bylaws and how we are going to be governed, what we are proposing uh, for the church to make a decision on in the days ahead. We don't have a date yet as to when we're going to be voting on these documents. We had a great business meeting last Sunday night. And the next business meeting is going to be on the 8th of September. And at last last business meeting, we uh, encouraged everyone to uh, get their motions. If you have a motion uh, on a on a change that you would uh, recommend for the bylaws, uh, you need to submit that in writing and then be there in person on the eighth to uh, make that motion. But if you can have it in writing by this Wednesday. Uh, we are asking for those motions to be made and send them to Kathy Williams at her email address. And uh, that email address should be in the, in the bulletin this morning. And uh, if you have any questions regarding um, uh, elder-led governance, um, I would ask that you submit those questions uh, this morning through the connection card because I'm going to take one more week. Uh, to t- focus on this uh, subject, and if you have any burning question that you want me to answer, if you'll just submit that, I'll do my best to address it uh, next Sunday. And uh, next Sunday, I do want to be talking about the office of deacon as well, uh, and what, the, how we distinguish, what are the differences between those two offices in the New Testament church. All right, and uh, also this morning, as uh, we take our offering, let me just encourage you that uh, our benevolence fund is in the hole right now. We have uh, been helping a lot of families here recently, as you can imagine, with uh, furloughs, uh, which thankfully are are gone now. But uh, whenever we take a benevolence offering, at any loose change in the offering plate, we will designate towards our benevolence uh, fund. And if you want to write a check, make sure you just get that uh, in the envelope and uh, write benevolence on the outside of the envelope, and we'll make sure we get it to the right place. All right? Well, let's uh, look at Titus chapter 1, Paul's words to Titus, Titus, and uh, we're going to start with verse 5. Paul says this, This is why I left you in Crete, speaking to Titus, so that you might put what remained in order And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but a hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, 
so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who can contradict it. Uh, this passage, which is um, characterizing uh, who elders are to be, is also found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I'll be alluding to that a little bit uh, this morning. But uh, the lists are basically the same. But uh, before I get into the, what qualifies a person to be an elder, why? someone asked last Sunday night, why are we considering uh, this for our church now? And, you know, that's a great question. And, and this isn't something that uh, we just have thought up recently. Uh, when I first became pastor, uh, I had an advisory team. And uh, we were contemplating this decision, and, and uh, we were looking at a couple books on uh, elder-led governance. And um, frankly, it was my fault. I dropped the ball at that point. I kind of felt overwhelmed with how we were going to go about uh, transitioning, proposing this transition as a church. And then uh, a couple years ago, there were a couple churches, and one in our association, one in Bakersfield, well-known churches who had just recently, who had gone to uh, an elder-led governance uh, church. And uh, I thought that this would be a great opportunity to just kind of glean from them. How did they do it? And instead of trying to invent the wheel, um, we would just kind of glean from... Um, uh, their documents. I put together an ad hoc committee uh, that you approved back in February, I believed, to investigate this idea. And as the committee came together, we were all of one mind that this was the New Testament model for governance. And so we began to go through our bylaws and we looked at other documents and we began to make uh, changes that uh, we felt were appropriate, we believe were appropriate in line with the New Testament. And, uh, and so uh, that has got the process go- going, and uh, we are far down the road now and about ready to uh, bring this to the church for a decision. But really the main reason as to why now, other than the fact that God is leading us and that uh, this is the New Testament model of how churches are to be led. Bottom line, I need help. You know, it's hard pastoring a church alone. And uh, I need a team of men, godly, qualified men around me, who can be the eyes and the ears and the heart of this church as well, and that we make decisions together. Because when you look at the New Testament, there was a unanimity among the, the elders as they made decisions, but there was also a plurality of elders. The church is not to be led by a senior pastor alone who is to come up with ideas and, and try to convince the congregation this is the direction to go. It needs to be brought to the congregation by a team of spiritually qualified men who are saying together, this is what we believe God is leading us to do. And so this is where we are as a church. And and when we look at the idea of 
elders, you know, some people might think, well, boy, pastor's just trying to consolidate his authority, okay? He's just trying to bring like-minded men around him who can just make the decisions for the church, and that is not the case at all. When you look at elders in the New Testament, uh, church, there is a shared responsibility. It's not one man who has the authority, but it is a body of men who are making decisions in unanimity. Um, and so the first one of the questions I want to a- a- answer when it comes to the authority of the church is who does have the authority in the church? Is it just the elders? And um, I want to sh- answer that question this morning. No, it's not. Now, the elders do have authority. If you have your Bibles, look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders. Notice the plural. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give to you will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage of you, for you. So elders have the authority in the church, and as a church, as members of the body, we need to submit to their authority. Now, in order to submit to elders' authority, you know what, you you need to expect respect them as men of God. I mean, they have to be spiritually qualified men to lead. And if their lives don't reflect the qualifications of Scripture, it's really hard to submit to their authority. And so qualifications are extremely important. If we if we elect men of God to... Um, to be, to be our leaders in this church, and they are not spiritually qualified, this church is going to be highly dysfunctional. So spiritual qualifications are imperative for us to be able to respect them and submit to their authority. So elders, the church is to obey, submit themselves to, to the leaders of the church. But then there is the authority of the church. The church has ultimate, the congregation also has authority in the church. Um, There is not one New Testament passage where I could just direct you to and and, uh, this idea of governance is just spelled out clearly. In order to understand these things, you, you need to to read the narrative of the New Testament. If you were to go to Galatians, Paul says, if there is a false teacher among you, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, as a church, you have a responsibility to do something about that heresy. You need to remove it from your body. The church has a responsibility to do that. When it comes to... um, Uh, discipline in the church. Uh, Matthew chapter 18 says that there is an appropriate path uh, for discipline to take place in the church. And if 
if the person in the body is continuing to be rebellious and they're not repenting of their sin, Jesus says, you need to tell it to the church. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Let me just read it for you. Matthew chapter 18, verse 17 says, If he refuses to listen to them, these are Jesus' words, tell it to the church. Now, this is before the church is established, all right? But Jesus is already talking about uh, that the church is going to be here when he when he ascends, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. A similar uh, incident takes place in first Corinthians chapter uh, Five verses four and five. There was there was some flagrant sin uh, taking place in the church body, and the church had the responsibility to remove that person from their midst. Discipline is a critical issue in the life of the church that is not to be administered by one person. The Bible says that if you have a problem with someone, you go to them 101. If they, if that doesn't correct the problem, then you take two or three witnesses with you. If that doesn't handle the problem, then you bring it to the church. Why, why is, why is the church to police themselves? And why is that important for the congregation to do this together? The reason is because the church uh, represents the values of heaven here on earth. Jesus says, whatever you loose in heaven will be loosed in, will be loose. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on earth. We reflect, we represent the values of the kingdom of God. And it's imperative as a church that we make these decisions collectively. So yes, elders lead, but also there is ultimate authority in decisions that need to be made as a congregation. Now, really it only pertains to discipline here. But as we have set up our bylaws, uh, when it comes to important decisions that are to be made, uh, the church will be voting on the annual budget. Uh, they'll be voting on um, future pastors, elders for our church. Uh, they'll be voting on um, any property, whether we're purchasing or selling um, loans that we may be obtaining. So when it talks to when we talk about being elder led, we're not making elders and are not making decisions in the dark. They're responsible for the, uh, the spiritual direction, the day in day out operations of the church. And when it comes to big decisions, we bring those before the congregation for a congregational vote. All right. So who has authority? Both the elders and the congregation. Um, and they are to complement each other. When we talk about having elders in our church, 
we're not talking about elders um, reigning with an iron fist. It's not like Lucy when she came to Linus one day. Okay? Lucy came to I to Linus, and she started shaking her fist because she wanted the channel changed on the TV. And Linus looked at uh, uh, Lucy and said, what makes you think you can control the TV? And Lucy looked at Linus and she said, see these five fingers? Alone, they can do nothing. But when you grip them together in a fist, they become a single unit that becomes, that is something terrible to behold. Linus said, which channel do you want me to change it to, Lucy? And uh, Linus walked away from the conversation and he looked at his fingers and he asked his fingers, why can't you guys get together like that? Elders are to rule more like Linus than Lucy. Now, that doesn't mean that elders are wimps. But this is what Jesus says about um, those who rule, those who lead in Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. I'm sorry. Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. Jesus said this, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is how we are to lead. And this is the governance in the local church. Now, once again, do we recognize any authority outside the local church? I would say this. Yes, we do in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, that Christ is the head of the church. But as far as governance, about as far as someone else, a, a, a human or an institution telling us what to do, you don't find that in Scripture. Okay? Now, there was a period in the life of the church in its beginning, in, in her beginning, when uh, she was ruled by what we would say monarchs, apostles. The apostles had the authority to teach, to be the foundation of the church. And they were given that authority because they were eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ from the beginning of his ministry. So in the beginning of the history of the church... Uh, the apostles were extremely important, and they were laying down the foundation. They were interpreting uh, the Old Testament through the life of Jesus Christ. They were writing scripture, and, and uh, amazing things were taking place through the apostles. But when the apostles died out, 
so did their office. And when the apostles are gone, what we're left with in the New Testament is the office of overseer, bishop, elders, which are all the same office. Now, in the Catholic and Anglican Church, they've taken the office of bishop and overseer, and they've separated that from elder, and uh, they've, they've made that an office of higher authority. But when you look at the New Testament, bishop, overseer, elder, they're all one office that the Bible uses interchangeably. Okay, you can't separate them out. One's not greater than the other. They're all the same office. All right? And um, and that's what I didn't get into last week, but uh, I want to mention this a little bit this morning about the fact that um, overseer and bishop are equivalent to elder in the New Testament. You can't distort the textual evidence and uh, give these different offices, these offices different distinctions. They all have the same function. Turn to Titus chapter one for a second. I'm going to give you three passages of scripture this morning. Titus chapter one. Look what Paul says in verse five. He says, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might Put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then look at verse 7. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So he's using the word elder and overseer interchangeably. He's talking about the qualifications for that office. Um, Look at Acts. If you go to Acts chapter 20, uh, we won't read all of Acts chapter 20, but uh, Paul is on his third missionary journey. And he's, he's, uh, I believe he's in Miletus. And he calls for the elders of, of Ephesus to come down to visit with him because he wants to encourage him. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows that this is the last time that... Um, that he's going to, to see these men and he wants to encourage them. But in verse uh, 17, he says of Acts chapter 20, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And then go to verse 28. Verse 28, he says, um, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. He's talking to the same group of men, overseers, elders, uh, bishops. They're one in the same. And then also in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is the other passage that talks about the qualifications for um, overseers, bishops. Look at verse 1. He says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Uh, Verse 2, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled. If you go to 
Titus. They're the same qualifications. But look at chapter 5, verse 17. As he, as he lays out these qualifications in chapter 3, again, uh, overseer, bishop, elder, they rule, uh, they rule the church. Verse 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered of double honor. Okay, so we see in chapter 3 the qualifications for an overseer. What do overseers do? They rule, and that's what is described in verse 17 of chapter 5 of an elder. So understand when we talk about these three terms, there's not a higher entity outside the local church. The New Testament instructs the church to be self-governing. When you have a disciplined manner, you don't take it to a, uh, a district elder. You don't take it to a bishop somewhere else. You take the matter to the church, not the pope, the church, and the church decides on the matter. The church is meant to be self-governing. No one tells this church what to do except for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is our pattern. This is our instruction book as to how we are to be led as a congregation. Now, you might be asking a question. That question came up last Sunday night. You know, how, how can we trust the elders to lead well. How can we trust these men to lead the church? And I just have to take us back to the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. These men must be spiritually qualified according to Scripture. We can't have any Yahoo sitting in this office. All right? Being an elder is not winning a popularity contest. Being an elder uh, isn't uh, because you have a uh, successful business in the secular world. Um, Being an elder isn't because you have a whole lot of charisma and people are just drawn to your personality. That's not the qualifications for an elder. An elder must be willing to serve. An elder must be willing to humble himself. And I just want to take us back to Titus chapter 3 and I want us to just kind of look at um, some of the qualifications again for an elder. One thing we see is that they need to be mature in the faith. They have to be tested. Um, Their family life can't be out of control. They have to be able to manage their their home and their, their marriage and their family well. Now, that doesn't mean um, 
that their children are perfect? Do they have to have children? Not necessarily. The Apostle Paul was a pastor and elder of the church of Ephesus for three years. He wasn't even married. So you don't have to be married to serve as an elder. Uh, You don't have to have children. But if you have children, you know what? They need to be submissive to um, the authority in in the home. Uh, They can't be disruptive or a detriment to the gospel. That doesn't mean, though, they have to be perfect kids. Um, You know, raising, raising kids is a challenge. Every parent can say amen to that. Amen? No kids are perfect. And especially when you see them in junior high, I mean, they can be a handful sometimes. But, you know, as, as this church was considering me as the pastor, the elder of this church, they were looking at my kids. And uh, there were some families in this church who were um, morally superior and questioning my ability to lead. And not only there were they questioning my ability to lead, and even though we didn't have other elders in the church, there were other men who had children in the church, and they were questioning um, their ability uh, to lead because of how their children behaved. And they were looking at their kids, particularly when they were in junior high. And they weren't showing any grace whatsoever. When we look at the qualifications of a man and we look at their family, we need to give them some grace. I mean, their kids, they can't be out of control and a detriment to the gospel. That that communicates one thing pretty clear. But if they're being kids, we need to cut them some slack. Not every child has the perfect, compliant personality that just fits real well in a pat, you know, in in a mold. Some kids have challenging personalities, and we just need to show families grace and love them through it, and understand that every child is different, but. The family, we do need to examine the man and his family. Can he manage the family well? We need to look at his personality. Look at Titus chapter 3 again. or cha- I'm sorry, cha- Titus chapter 1. Um, an overseer, verse 7, as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. Or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. An elder needs to have the ability to put out relational fires. When there is a difficult situation in the church, 
He needs to bring a bucket of, he has to, he has to be willing or able to bring a bucket of water to that situation rather than a can of gasoline. Okay? He has to have that kind of temperament where he can help resolve a situation. Gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not arrogant. Not quick-tempered, not greedy or a lover of money, but generous. You need to look at his personality closely. Another aspect of an elder's life is um, he needs to be in a loving, if he's in a marriage relationship, it needs to be a loving and nurturing marriage relationship. The Bible says that he needs to be the husband of one wife. What does that mean? Does that mean that there can't be any divorce in this person's background? Does it mean that uh, he's not to have a be in a polygamous relationship? There's a lot of different interpretations to this in this text, but I believe what the text is saying: he needs to be uh, a one-woman man. The relationship he is currently involved with needs to be a loving nurturing, um, godly relationship. As we look at this text about an elder, you need to understand that this text is in the present tense. Sometimes we've looked at this text and we've looked at the idea of that uh, he's to be the husband of one wife, and we've decided that there can't be any divorce in this person's background. We need to consider this on a case-by-case basis. Instead of just being legalistic about it, and if there's divorce, you're immediately disqualified. Or if the wife has divorce in her background, they're immediately disqualified. That's not what the scripture is talking about here. He needs to be a one-man or one-woman man. And... He has to be above reproach. Paul mentions this twice to Titus in this passage of Scripture. The elder must be above reproach. There may be divorce in this person's background, and it has brought reproach on him. The ex-wife may be in the congregation, or she may be in the community, and this has been disruptive to his testimony, and so that he would be disqualified. But in considering a person, and if there's divorce in the background, rather than just being legalistic about and saying he's immediately off the list, we need to get a story. And what is happening in life currently? Is he qualified to lead today? Has he learned from those mistakes? You know, oftentimes we'll go through painful situations and there's situations that we just want to sweep under the carpet and forget. And they may be the very things that God wants to use in through your life and somebody else's life through ministry. God never wastes a hurt. But in considering a man in the present relationship, And in the present tense, he needs to be a one-woman man in a loving, caring, 
nurturing relationship with his wife. Paul goes on to say, um, in verse uh, 7, you must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. A spiritually qualified elder cannot be a drunkard. Now, you need to understand something um, in the bylaws that we've proposed for the church. Uh, Someone has wisely uh, included this in our bylaws. Um, It says this, The elder board shall not add nor subtract from the biblical qualifications. We cannot be extra biblical when it comes to alcohol. The Bible is very clear that drunkenness is a sin. We can't be controlled by alcohol. But to say that to become an elder in our church, you must abstain from alcohol, that is being extra biblical. That is being legalistic at that point. The Bible gives us the freedom to drink alcohol responsibly. Now, as your pastor, I've chosen to give up that liberty. And all my life, I have given up that liberty. But we have godly people in our church who consume alcohol occasionally. And the Bible gives them that freedom. Church, we cannot be legalistic at this point. We cannot be extra biblical. But elders qualified to lead cannot be drunkards. That's that's the list that Paul gives us in this text. He must be a spirit-filled man. He must be a man who knows the word of God, who can teach the word of God, and can rebuke those who contradict the word of God. These are the qualifications. And this is what we're considering for the future of our church. As your pastor, I want us to be led well. That's my deepest desire, that we be led in a godly way. And right now, as your senior pastor, I am feeling very overwhelmed as your leader. We have a great staff. We have great ministry directors. Uh, Karen is doing a wonderful job. Adele is doing a wonderful job. Uh, Emily is, is keeping the youth ministry together. They're great, but they're not pastors. And I need spiritually qualified pastors 
shepherds who can come alongside me and help us make the decisions that we feel are best for this church. And so I am asking you that you please pray for our church. You please pray for our leadership. That you pray that our church will be in unity uh, regarding this decision that we need to make. And that we'll be submitted to the headship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. If you have questions, please write them down on the connection card. You can email me. That's fine. But I want to try to address those questions next week as we finish up this series on this church and um, make a decision on our future bylaws and how we will be governed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to go through um, these qualifications for spiritual leadership. Oh, Lord, I I know that some of the things I shared here this morning, we don't all agree on. We have different convictions about. But, Lord, I pray that we would allow the Word of God and the Word of God alone to direct our paths our path, and not our man-made lists. I've carried those lists around in my pocket for a very long time. I made judgment calls on people. I had no business making judgment calls on. Jesus, you're continuing to grow me through this. But I pray that, that, Lord, as a church, we will understand what the Word of God says on these matters and those who are to be leading. And when it comes to that time, when it's appropriate to decide on the future elders of this church, that God, that you would make that clear. And we would empower these men to help lead this church. Thank you, Father, for what you're teaching us, what you're teaching me. Help us to be more like what we see in the New Testament. In Jesus' name we pray.